right, all right, day 217. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our selves. All right, so we're in the thick of the book of Ezekiel, and we've just transitioned outside of uh, the sections that primarily deal with prophecies of judgment. So from 33 to 48, 33 to the end of the book, my man Ezekiel is going to give some hope. <laughs> He's going to give us prophecies of hope and restoration. So in chapter 33, we have this idea that the Lord presents to us in the text of, of Ezekiel as a watchman. Now, in the ancient world, every city had a Watchman. The watchman would sit at an elevated high point of the city and would be able to warn the people of their city if impending danger or judgment was headed their way. However, the watchman was responsible if he failed to warn the people of the danger that was coming as well. And so God is going to take this theme in the ancient world and apply it and give it to Ezekiel. He is the watchman for the people of God. He is called to warn them of judgment that is coming. And what I love about this text is that Ezekiel is called to warn the people and the people should respond. And if they fail to respond though, this isn't Ezekiel's fault, right? But if he fails to warn them, it is. Right. So in other words, I think this can apply to all of us as believers on the backside of the cross uh, based on texts like this one in Psalm chapter 19 uh, that's t- that talks about God's word being written to warn us, to warn us of the harm we can do to ourselves by disobeying the Lord, but also of the judgment right, that is coming when we turn away from the Lord and the danger that comes to us from disobedience. It's Listen, it's our job as believers to simply be watchmen and warn folks not to twist folks arms to make them respond to what they are to to what they've heard the former is our job uh the latter is between them and god right so ezekiel 34 comes and it's this famous passage in the book um as ezekiel he mentions these shepherds and god's flock right now the shepherds uh in israel wasn't uh, a literal specific office so right they had the prophet priest and king which uh were specific offices in ancient israel but it usually and broadly referred to the leaders right so when the bible talks about the shepherds it usually referred to the leaders mostly kings though right mostly kings but also some of the key figures such as uh moses and uh abraham right were referred to as shepherds um But it's broadly used for leaders, and I think it's being used for leaders uh, in this text. But here, it is a very indictment of those leaders. They're not saying anything fuzzy or cool about them at all, right? He's indicting them. So he says this in verse 4, You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. So he says this in verse 10, This is what the Lord God says, Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. In other words, God is going to take the metaphor of shepherd and run with it, right? He says, you shepherds have failed to care for my sheep, right? The leaders in Israel had led the people of Israel astray. Therefore, because they they are sheep, right? They have been scattered and you being the terrible shepherds you are, are unable to gather them back in, right? And so therefore judgment is upon you. But more importantly, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring them back into the fold myself, 
right? I'm going to bring them back into the fold myself. And this couldn't be a better metaphor for the Lord Jesus to pick up in the New Testament, right? His ministry, right? Look at John chapter 10 is one of the good shepherd who comes and gathers the scattered sheep, who cares for the sheep, who has compassion for the sheep and protects them from the wolves and enemies. I was actually having a talk with someone today and I was saying that um, when you look back at history, right, there is no spotless hero, right? Like everybody, we can go down the line of every figure in history and we can see in some way how they may have done harm to the sheep, whether directly or indirectly. Right. But when we look at the Bible, when we look at the person and work of Jesus, he is the good shepherd. He is the one to come that does all of these things perfectly. He says this in the text. I will establish over them one shepherd. Here it is. My servant, David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and he will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant, David, will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. When the, when the prophets specifically speak of David coming back to reign in the last days when the kingdom comes, it is not literally speaking of David uh, who lived in the time of Goliath and Saul. It is speaking of David's son, right? The greater David, right? The David, I, the one from his line who would uh, shepherd people greater than David did, right? That will gather in all of the lost sheep. And the beauty of it is if you're a Christian listening to this, He's talking about you, right? Like he's talking about you. You are one of God's sheep under the great shepherd king, Jesus himself. Chapter 35 comes. Um, and in this section, it seemingly uh, seems to be uh, out of place, right? But it talks about another foreign nation, Edom, right? Remember, uh, Edom descended from Esau. And in this text, it is saying that Edom has the judgment of God against them, right? They were inhabitants of this region called Mount Seir. And they actually, listen, have been at odds with Jacob since the womb, right? Remember the book of Genesis, right? Um, remember Rebecca and the two boys she had all the way until this current moment in the text. And look what the text says about Edom. It says this, because you maintained a perpetual hatred and gave the Israelites over to the power of the sword in the time of their disaster, the time of final punishment. Therefore, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. I will destine you for bloodshed and it will pursue you. Since you did not hate bloodshed, it will pursue you. Apparently, and we see this in other places in the Old Testament, Edom, uh, specifically uh, the book of Obadiah, um, Edom, set by passively and even supportively as Israel went into exile at the hands of Babylon. And they were not just unable, but unwilling to help God's people as they were going into exile. And this shows us that God is not just displeased at, or displeased at some of the things we do, but of some of the things we fail to do as well, right? Sins of commission and omission are both sins, right? Our neglect, hear this, our neglect of what God has called us to can definitely result, according to this text, in his displeasure. Notice he is indicting Edom for what they didn't do. And I, my, my, my prayer today is that the Lord would convict us of some of the sins of, right, omission, right, that we've committed, that we've, the things that we haven't done that God has called us to do. And may he lead us in a way of greater faithfulness and so ezekiel 36 comes last chapter of this bunch and it picks up and it speaks of these mountains of israel's 
uh, enemies being judged, right? 35 spoke of the, uh, the mountains of Israel's enemies being judged, but 36 will speak of the mountains of Israel now being blessed. It says, you mountains of Israel will produce your branches and bear your fruit for my people since their arrival is near. Look, I am on your side. I will turn toward you and you will be tilled and sown. I will fill you with people, with the whole house of Israel in its entirety. The cities will be inhabited and the ruins rebuilt. Listen, in the Old Testament, agricultural abundance was seen as a blessing from God, whereas famine, on the other hand, was often associated with God's curse. Remember Deuteronomy chapter 28. Then he goes on to say, listen, this isn't just for Judah, right? This is for the whole house of Israel. Whenever the prophets bring up restoration, right, they are talking about the reunification. And we'll learn some more about this tomorrow of both Judah and Israel. Right. And so uh, this is a restoration passage, uh, chapter 36, and one of the most famous. Right. And he, he speaks of the way that, um, you know, uh, the way in which Israel had defiled the land by their disobedience and God dispersed them in exile because of their sin. Um, they get dispersed to the nations. And basically this this doesn't just look bad on them. It looks bad on God. In other words, in the ancient Near East, there was this idea that a nation, hear this, their God and their land, a nation, a God and their land were intimately tied together. So this is why God says what he says in verse 20 to 21. He says, these are the people of the Lord. This is what the nations would say about them. These are the people of the Lord. Yet they had to leave his land in exile. Then I had a concern for my holy name, says God, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations where they went. In other words, this made God, right, seem as if he wasn't powerful enough to keep his people. And I think we need to remember, fam, that sometimes, once again, I say this all the time, actually, uh, sometimes uh, we are the only Bible a non-believer will ever read, right? Like people will look at you and determine, unfortunately, how good God is, <laughs> right? And that's not to put pressure on you, but that's to show you the kind of opportunity and privilege you have to bear the name of Christ, Right. And so the exile in the pagan's mind, according to this text, would say that their God is inferior, right, to the gods of the nations. But look what the hope, look at the hope of restoration that he offers. He he says this, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle, hear this, clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you i will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh i will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances you will live in the land that i gave your ancestors you will be my people and i will be your god listen this idea of sprinkling with clean water comes from the uh the law the first five books the pentateuch where the priests would take the water and wash the people and the objects that they used in the temple service in order to cleanse them right so they could be set apart for god's holy use and we see this cleansing this cleansing uh kind of theme and metaphor all throughout the scriptures where even the lord hear this cleanses the world of impurity through the washing of water even in the flood right and so God is saying that he is going to cleanse his people. He is going to renew his people. He is going to regenerate his people where he imparts this new spiritual life. He gives them new hearts, right? He uses his spirit and all of this was seen to be fulfilled, right? In the new covenant, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Listen, the work of God for you and I is so radical that according to this text, it is as if we have been 
born again. John chapter three. Uh, we are in such a condition that we needed heart surgery, right? Our mind, our will, and our inclinations had to be renewed and redone. And all he's doing is just staying in the text, fam. Ezekiel just in the text. He's all in Deuteronomy 30, where he's saying, hey, fam, where the Lord promised that he would change not just our physical uh, stature and body, but our actual hearts, right? He will go a place that no no one else can go to do for his people uh, something that no one else can do let's pray god we praise you for your work of changing us for your spirit for making us clean father we thank you so much that you've given us new hearts i pray lord that we would uh turn from our sin lord and trust you uh today and we will live by the power of the spirit that you've actually imparted to each and every one of us it's in jesus christ's name we pray amen